Whoa! Hey! It is good to see you. Man, it's good to be back here at Plum Creek. It has been a minute. Uh, I, I was looking at the calendar and it's been almost two years, over a year and a half since I've had the opportunity to be here with you and a lot has happened <laughs> since then. Like there's a whole building out there that wasn't there when I was here last time. Congratulations. That is spectacular. What a great facility. You should just give God thanks for that. And I know you'll use every square inch of that space to continue to make Jesus famous in this valley. So, so great. Let's see, what else has happened? Um, I got glasses. Yeah, and they're progressives, which like, so it's like I can see you, now I can't. I can see you, now I can't. So if I get like wobbly up here, it's because I'm trying to figure out the right little place to read notes. Oh, and uh, there was a pandemic. There was that. I don't know if you remember that and a really calm, respectful election since the last time I was here. So, whoa, what a year it's been, huh? It's been a crazy, crazy year. You guys are in this series called Mind Games, and I don't know if there could be a more appropriate series based on the year we all just experienced. Because I don't know about you, but man, it played games with my mind over the last year, the last year and a half. Like, for the first time in my life, I'm afraid to take a drink of water at a restaurant because some of that water might make its way into the wrong pipe and I would have a coughing fit. And you could get like five to 10 in the big house for coughing now. Public coughing is worse than public intoxication these days, okay? So, so it's like messed with my head, right? Uh, but seriously, obviously we're all aware that that COVID brought about not only physical uh, battles with illness, but also very serious battles in the mind. Uh, battles for some with, with grief and loss, depression, hopelessness, anger, fear, feelings of helplessness, and the list could go on. And so Pastor Doug kicking off this series last weekend um, is relevant anytime, but, but especially relevant in the times in which we're living right now, because our minds, our minds are so powerful, aren't they? I mean, the reality is our thoughts actually shape our lives. Whether we realize it or not, our thoughts, the way that we think, actually shapes our lives. Um, uh, if we don't think it, we don't do it, right? And some of you are like, well, no, I have done things without thinking. And I would say, well, not really. I mean, you just didn't think Clearly, okay, you, you, but it still hit your mind first. If we, if we don't think it, we don't do it. Now, we may not act on every thought, thankfully. <laughs> how many of you over the last year had a thought or two you're thankful you didn't act on? <laughs> Maybe, how many of you this morning had a thought that you're thankful you didn't act on? Yeah, um, and, and so that's, that's a good thing, but the, but the way we think actually controls our lives, and, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. Um, I, I heard a story years ago about an experiment that was done. The scientist took a large aquarium and filled it with water. And then he dropped a sheet of glass, the same width and height of the aquarium. Maybe you heard this story before. He dropped it into the aquarium, so he divided this big aquarium into two sections. And on one side of the aquarium, he put a northern pike fish, all right? And then on the other side of the aquarium, he put in a dozen minnows, that pike's favorite favorite food, all right? And Mr. Pike thought he died and went to heaven because he's got like an all-you-can-eat sushi bar floating around on the other side of the tank. And, and so the pike, you know, began to swim, swimming around. That's how pikes swim. You know, it's also how white people dance, right? But anyway, 
So he's swimming around. He's swimming around that tank and he spies his appetizer and he goes in for the kill. And bam, he hits that glass. And he's stunned. I mean, he can't explain it. He's dazed and confused. He, he's shaking his fish head and wishing he had fish hands to rub his fish nose. And, and he doesn't know what just happened, but he's not giving, he's not giving up. He's going to go back. So he starts swimming again, only this time just a little bit slower because it's lodged in his mind what just happened. So a little bit slower looks around that tank, he finds the one he wants, and he goes after that minnow, and again, he hits that glass and bounces back, and, and, and he doesn't understand it, but he keeps trying, only every time he goes a little bit slower, until eventually he just gives up. He can't explain it, he doesn't understand it, he just knows that he can see those fish, but they're off limits to him, he can't get them, he just can't, he can't have them. And so he just, he just quits. And then the scientist comes in and he takes that sheet of glass out of the aquarium. So now it's wide open. And those little minnows, they start swimming all over that aquarium. And they're, like, they're swimming over the top of him and under him and right in front of his little bruised nose. And, and, but through, he won't take a bite. Mr. Pike won't go for it. He, he, he doesn't try at all. Those fish are fine. They're, they're, because somehow... It lodged in his mind that those fish were off limits, that he couldn't have them, that, that, that they just weren't for him. And so even though they were right in front of him, he never took a bite. Now, that's a fascinating experience for a northern pike, but it's a tragic reality when it comes to human beings because I would suggest that something similar often happens to human beings. And maybe some of you here today or some of you watching online have slammed into the proverbial glass so many times that it's laid down some patterns of thinking in your mind that are keeping you from the life that God has actually called you to live, from living out his purpose and the potential he has for your life because you've hit that glass so many times. Our thoughts are a powerful force for evil or for good. All right? They can lead us to life, but they can also lead us to death. Sometimes physical death, but also death of relationships, death of hope, death of joy, death of freedom. The way we think matters to the way we live. Last weekend, Doug challenged us to replace the enemy's lies with God's truth. And he gave us a couple of great ways of doing that. First, he said, identify the strongholds that hold us back. And in the metaphor I used, identify the glass. Identify where those strongholds are in your mind and then demolish those strongholds with truth. And I want to pick up on that and kind of hone in on this demolishing strongholds with truth and how, do we, how we do that. So here's our main thought for the day. Main thought for today is I must train my mind to align with God's truth. I must train my mind to align with God's truth. All right, and, and here's where we're gonna start, okay? Point number one, if you're writing stuff down, the place we start is I must recognize that my mind can be trained. It actually is possible that I can train or retrain my mind. And some of you maybe aren't so sure. It's like you drive around with a bumper sticker that just says thoughts happen. And your mind is just open to whatever thoughts may happen to come, all right? And to an extent, that's true. We can't always control the thoughts that come into our minds, but we aren't helpless when it comes to our thoughts and our, our patterns of thinking, 
All right, and Paul confirms this. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in a letter he wrote to the church in Philippi, a letter, by the way, that he wrote while he was in prison. And, and this is what he wrote, Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those things. In other words, the implication of what Paul said is that we can choose what we think about. We, not, we may not be able to stop every fleeting thought that comes into our minds, but we can absolutely choose what we dwell on in our minds. And what a great litmus test. I mean, think about it. Paul's writing this from prison. What would you think about if you were in prison? It wouldn't be those things. Right? But Paul has learned how to choose what he dwells on. And what if that was the litmus test for where we let our minds go? What if we ask those questions every time? Is this true? Man, that's a big one in our culture today. Because I don't know about you, but over the last year, year and a half, I know I've let my mind dwell on things that actually weren't even completely true. Or I didn't, even, I didn't know if they were true or not. Is it true? Is it noble? Another word for noble is honorable. Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? See, we can train or retrain our minds to think in new ways. Paul uses the word renew. Look at what he wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It's, it, Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Let me just say, if you've read the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters were, were Paul unpacking the magnanimous mercy of God. All that God has done for us in Jesus, all right? And so he says, in view of that, I urge you to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, because worship is a response, that's what worship is. And the only response that makes any sense in light of what God has done for us is to offer all of who we are to him. All right, then look at verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That word means assimilate. Don't assimilate or don't fashion yourself to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So these verses not only tell us that our minds can be renewed, they tell us that our minds need to be renewed. Because here's the thing, our minds naturally drift towards the patterns of this world. And training our minds, renewing our minds on truth require that we be intentional about how we think and where we allow our thoughts to dwell, all right? So I'll give you an example of that. Early, early on in the year of COVID, um, when, when everything was shut down, and I, like most pastors around the country, uh, was preaching to a camera, which th th no response, never laughed at anything I said. It was terrible. I hated it. I'm thankful for technology that we can do it, but I hated it. 
Um, and, and, and all of us were doing that. And, and my wife and I live in an apartment um, in downtown Fort Collins. Uh, and so we would go for walks around downtown. And our downtown Fort Collins is all, it's always just hopping, super busy people everywhere. And some days we'd go out for a walk and it was creepy. It was like everything was closed. It was like a ghost town. There were times where we'd walk through our old town square and we were the only two people that we could see. And it was, it was weird and it was depressing. And so I got in this habit of getting up every morning and going right to the television, turning on the news to see what was happening in our world. I was just feeding on everything that was happening. In other words, I was starting my day in the most depressing way possible. COVID and statistics and everything was doom and, and racial unrest and nasty political divisiveness. And, and one day I just began to realize that I was conforming to patterns of this world. I was just drifting into fear and anger and depression and anxiety and despair. And I remember having this thought one day, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit just dropping this thought into my spirit, and, and it just went like this. Instead of starting your day with good morning America, why don't you try starting your day with good morning Jesus? It just kind of dropped in my heart. And so the next day I got up and made a pot of coffee, and, and we live, as I said, downtown, and, and we're on the 11th floor, and we face east, so we get the sunrise, and and uh, I took my cup of coffee, we, it, it overlooks the city, and I walked out on the balcony, and I started, began starting every day with the cup of coffee, the sunrise, and Jesus. And over time, I just began to realize I'm retraining, my, my mind is being renewed as I spend time with truth. It's renewing, it's renewing my mind. Now, that doesn't mean I never watch the news again. I'm not saying we shouldn't be... Uh, informed. I'm just saying that for me, I needed to begin my day by setting my mind on the things of God, and then that would reframe all the other things that would assault my mind throughout the day. See, because here's the truth. I don't know what all is true about COVID. I don't know what all was true about Donald Trump or Joe Biden, but I know what's true about Jesus. I know what's true about his kingdom. I know what's true about his love for me. And I know that he's never been rattled. He's never been caught by surprise. His back has never been against the wall. And I know that I can fully trust him with all of my life. I know that to be true. And as we dwell on that truth, it begins to retrain our mind. And now everything we experience in life begins to be filtered through truth, God's truth. All right, I must train my mind to align with God's truth. In another letter that Paul wrote, he said this. It's one of my favorite verses, and we talk about it a lot at the church that I'm privileged to lead in Fort Collins. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Do you ever, do you ever read that verse or hear that verse and think to yourself, then why do I still struggle so much? Why do I still have so many thoughts that are more like the old me before I actually came to know Jesus? And I think part of the clue is what we read earlier. Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It, the Greek word for transformed is the word metamorpho, okay? And, and so you can probably guess what word we get from that, metamorphosis, all right, metamorphosis means, the definition of metamorphosis is the process, 
the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form. And we all remember that from elementary school when, when we learned about caterpillars and butterflies. Or if you're old like me, remember the dude Barry McGuire with his guitar singing bullfrogs and butterflies? Anybody? Yep. Nope. Okay. Just me. Great. All right. This generation, man, has missed out. It's what's broken. You didn't grow up with bullfrogs and butterflies. Anyway, all right. So here's the thing. Inherent in the word transformation is the idea of process. It's the idea of this journey, right? When we come to Jesus and we surrender our lives to him, his spirit goes to work in our lives to transform us into the image of Jesus. Paul says multiple times that's the end game. That's what God desires. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to, to shape us to be more like Jesus. In fact, the root word of metamorpho, the, the root Greek word, literally means to shape something into a durable likeness. The Holy Spirit works in our lives to shape us into a durable likeness of Jesus. And he does that by renewing our minds. All right, but here's the thing. We have to participate in that process, right? And, and here's what I mean. Remember, I said, I said the thought for the day is I must train my mind to align with God's truth. And I use the word train intentionally because what we often do instead is we try. We just try really, really hard. And there's a difference between training and trying. John Ortberg, a, a well-known teacher and pastor in Dallas Willard, through some of their writings, opened my eyes to understanding that difference years ago. Let, let, me, let me illustrate this way. Let's say you came to me this weekend, and, and you said, listen, we took a vote at, at Plum Creek, and we, we want to ask you to represent us in the Colfax Marathon this year, 26 point two miles. We want you to, to run and, and we've got you some little running shorts with the logo on it. Okay. And he's like, you're going to be our dude. All right. And I love you. I love this church and I wouldn't want to let you down. And so I respond by saying, I'm in and, and I'm going to try really, really hard. I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to try my best. Now here's the reality. No matter how hard I try, I'm going to need an ambulance after about one mile. Okay. <laughs> Because here's the reality about my life. If you see me running, you better run too because it means something's chasing me, okay? <laughs> because running is not part of my gig, all right? Uh, people who run to relax, you need help. I don't understand that at all, all right? Um, and, and so that's the point is this. The second point, I must train, not simply try. I can't say, and and that's, what, that's where we get off track so often. We try, try, try really hard. But what we need to do is we need to train. Now, let me give you a definition for training. This is the best definition I've heard. Training is arranging your life around those things that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by direct effort. All right, let me say it again so we get it. Training is arranging my life around those things, whatever those things are, that will enable me to do what I can't do right now by just trying really hard. Okay, And that's really where spiritual disciplines come in. This, when we practice spiritual disciplines, we are, we are arranging our life around those things that are going to shape us and mold us to be more and more like Jesus. Again, uh, Doug challenged us last week, identify those strongholds in our lives and then demolish those strongholds with truth. So we train our minds by feeding on the truth that is contained in Scripture. 
that's contained in God's word. And when I say feeding, I'm talking about regularly nourishing our minds with truth from God's perspective. Because here's the deal. We, we live in a culture where everybody lives their truth. I'm living my truth. What will, what will retrain or renew our mind is when we begin to embrace God's truth. The truth in his word and the truth in his person. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right? It means feeding on the truth from God's perspective, arranging our lives around that truth. Look at what the psalmist wrote. A really powerful passage in Psalm 119. Here's what he said. How, verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Man, teenagers, young adults, pay attention to this. All right? How can we do that? Here's his answer. By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I say them. I know them. I I repeat them. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I will delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Last week, Doug referred to a book by Craig Groeschel called uh, Winning the War in Your Mind. And in that book, he talks about, about landing on scripture that speaks that speaks truth to to the stronghold that exists in your mind and and studying that studying that passage of scripture which is important we it, we're not just talking about lifting out of context a scripture verse and memorizing it we're talking about digging into the word to know the truth what did it mean to the people who heard it first in that culture in that context the people who read it is it a narrative of history is it poetry is it is it um, words of wisdom is it a letter written to the church study that and then and then write a declaration of, of, of truth in your words about what that truth speaks to that stronghold in your mind. And then, he, and then he just says, write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Write it, think it, say it out loud until it gets deep down in your heart and you believe it. See, because our minds have a mindset. We have a viewpoint. You could call it a worldview. Before we come to Jesus, that mindset is naturally conforming to the patterns of this world. And even after we come to Jesus, we have to guard our minds or they will still drift towards the patterns of this world. I'll give you an example. I, I grew up in church. I've, I've mentioned this before, and I'm grateful for that heritage and the things that, that I was taught and that I grew up in a culture that valued God and a relationship with him. But I've shared before, I grew up in a church culture that was pretty legalistic. And it created a perception of God in me, um, surely unintentional, but it created this perspective or perception of God in me that God was pretty much always angry. That he was never really pleased with us, no matter how hard we tried to live right. 
And there were long lists of what it meant to live right and to be holy. And I was never quite sure if I was measuring up on that list. I was pretty convinced that I wasn't, that I kind of fell short. And I never really pleased him because that's what legalism does. That's the, that's the mindset that it creates, all right? Well, so I grow up. And in January 1988, I become a youth pastor, But here's the thing, I still have this pattern of thinking embedded in my mind that God is just not pleasable, that he's just never really pleased, that he always is just wanting more. He's never really happy, and I'm terrified to disappoint him. And now, now I'm a youth pastor. Now I'm getting paid to love and to serve and to minister to teenagers, but that just means that God expects even more of me. And disappointing the people that I'm supposed to serve would mean disappointing God. And so I work really, really, really hard at trying not to ever disappoint anyone. And I work at an insane pace just trying to accomplish that. Now, I didn't know all this at the time. It took counseling, literally, to unpack a lot of this. But here's what that pattern of thinking led to in my life. The only people that I was willing to disappoint were the people closest to me, my wife and my kids. That's what that underlying pattern of thinking did. And, and, and so when, when my family and ministry were in conflict, ministry always won. It always won. And I could justify it because of this pattern of thinking deep down inside my mind that you just can't disappoint God. Till one day my wife was driving and my four-year-old son was sitting in the back seat. I wasn't in the car. And my four-year-old son said to my wife, you know, dad is just like this man who comes home and sleeps at night and then goes and leaves again in the morning. And it was a heartbreaking, abrupt wake-up call that convinced me I have, I, have to, I have to change. I have to do some things different. But it would be a process in my life, a long process of retraining my mind. And to be honest, it's a process that still continues to this day because I can so easily drift back to that kind of pattern and, and actually feel guilty when, I, when I'm just resting. It's still a pattern that I have to fight against. And and retraining my mind would involve feeding on truth. Here's the ironic part. I had to feed on truth that I was actually preaching to other people. I just hadn't allowed it to actually transform me. Right? I'm telling teenagers how much God loves them, but when you peel it all back, I wasn't convinced that he really loved me. Now, I would never say that out loud. I wouldn't have said it like that. But that's kind of what was buried deep in this pattern of thinking in my mind. I was preaching grace while I was on a treadmill of good works trying to get God's approval. All right? So I have to recognize that my mind can be trained. I must train and not try. And then finally, I must recognize that others are critical to my training. I need others helping me to train my mind to think and align according to God's truth. See, I've discovered that there are patterns of thinking in my mind that I don't even realize are there, and I suggest it's true for probably all of us in this room. I've also discovered that very often the Holy Spirit chooses to work through other people to help me see stuff that I can't see on my own. See, we all have blind spots. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't have any blind spots. 
It's because you're blind, all right? You can't see blind spots. And we need other people. See, here's the deal. You're saying, I don't have any blind spots. The people who know you, they see them. They know clearly what they are. We, don't all, we can't always see those spots ourselves. And so we need other people who love us, who we can trust, who we allow to speak truth into our lives to help us see where we're blind, where there are patterns of thinking in our mind that are detrimental to being the person that God called us and created us to be. We need other people speaking into that. A couple years ago, um, I sought out some pretty intense uh, counseling and therapy in my life uh, after my wife and I experienced a very traumatic event in our lives. I think I shared this with you uh, a while back. Um, Our best friends were killed at the same time in a motorcycle accident right behind us. We, we saw it, we were there, and it was very traumatic for us. And so I began therapy to deal with all that. I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, I was having flashbacks. I had crazy, irrational fears. Uh, but what I wasn't expecting when I went into counseling was that that trauma therapy would begin to unpack a lot more than just the accident. I would learn a lot about patterns of thinking and insecurities in my own life that I would never have been able to identify on my own. It helped me uncover some lies that I had bought into without even realizing it. I'm a big, big fan of Christian counseling. I'm a big fan of authentic, transparent community with other trusted believers because they all can help us in this process of transformation and renewing our minds, aligning our minds around God's truth. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about physical training, training our body, physical training is always more effective with a professional trainer who can say, no, do it this way, make a tweak here, change a little bit here. And for me, it's always more effective to have a workout partner, right, who holds me accountable, who encourages progress. The same is true in this process of transformation in our minds. All right, so we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna, as I like to say to our church, we're gonna begin to land the plane, okay? We're coming over the mountains, it's turbulent, but the wheels are down, all right? Here's how we're gonna close. We are gonna close our time by receiving communion together. And I'm so grateful and and just happy that it landed uh, on on a weekend. I get to be here and lead through communion and also based on the message we're talking about. And so the band is gonna join me here uh, in just a moment. We're gonna end with with communion and worship. But but let let me just say this. Every time we do this, every time we gather around the bread and the cup, it is an exercise in renewing our minds around God's truth, around really the greatest truth that we know of God and that is revealed in his word. All right, look at what what Paul said. Let's just walk through his instruction about what we are to do when we gather around these elements. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Here's what Paul writes. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Right? And we picture it in your mind, that last meal before he would be arrested. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul says, 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we gather around the bread and the cup, we remember and we proclaim the Lord's death. Now, that doesn't just mean that we remember on a certain day in history, Jesus died on a cross. It means that we remember and we renew our minds in the truth that God, out of his indescribable love for you and for me, became one of us. He clothed himself in flesh and took the very nature of a servant and moved into the brokenness of our sin-wracked, rebellious-wracked world with all of its violence and evil. And he took upon himself all that human rebellion and sin could dish out. All that sin was and all that sin brought on, including the ultimate end of sin, which is death. He took it all upon himself and he did it out of his incredible love for you and for me. Paul said God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every time we come to this, We renew our minds in the most important thing that you can renew your mind around. God loves you. And he demonstrated that love in the gift of his son, Jesus. He loves you. For some of you here today, that's a hard thing for you to get a hold of. You're thinking in your mind, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't know how bad I've been. Listen, he loves you not because you've earned it. He loves you because it's the essence of who he is. God doesn't just love. He is love. And he demonstrated in the gift of his son. And when we take the bread and we drink the cup, we renew our mind in his love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Maybe some of you here today for the first time are opening your heart and it's a moment of clarity and a moment of faith to reach out to him to receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and let it wash over you and make you new. We proclaim his death, Paul said, until he comes. Well, he can't come unless he's alive. And so every time we gather with the bread and the cup, we renew our mind around the truth that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he is exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day he will fully make all things new in a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be as he intended in the very beginning before human rebellion wreaked havoc on his creation. The dwelling of God and the dwelling of humanity will be one. We renew our minds in that. Jesus defeated death, which means we have eternal life. And when our minds become renewed in that truth, it changes the way we live now. We become a living expression of his kingdom in our world. So so take the element, if you will, and open up that part with the bread. And you don't have to be a member at Plum Creek to receive communion. We ask that you have a relationship with him. And for some of you, maybe in this moment, it's it's a new beginning of relationship with Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for us. 
Let's receive the bread. And now, I'm struggling here. Let's take the cup. And Jesus, thank you for allowing your blood to be shed, for without it, there's no remission for sin. Your life was not taken, your life was given so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to you. We thank you for your sacrifice. Let's receive the cup. Will you pray with me? God, we sit here today overwhelmed by your incredible, indescribable love for us. And I pray, God, that you will help us to see the blind spots in our patterns of thinking. God, I pray for people who are here today who have just hit that glass so many times and it's laid down tracks in their minds of things that are not true, that are partially true, that work against being all that you created them to be. I pray that, that there will be a resolve today to submit and surrender to the work of your spirit through the power of your word to renew our minds that will enable us to discern what your will is, your good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thank you for your love. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for new beginnings. God, may we, as you renew our mind and shape us to look more like Jesus, may we make you famous in this valley because when people look at us, they'll see just a glimpse of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.